0: Good evening. It's eight o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is <clears throat> this is dot org. It's time to begin our regular halacha shir. We're speaking about kol isha, the singing voice of women. And uh, we learned all the primary, all the basic sources, the principal sources from, uh, from, from the days of the Mishnah and Gemara and the principal Rishonim from the Middle Ages in the Shulchan Ar- We learned all the principal sources which lead straight to the conclusion that men are not allowed to hear the singing voice of women. It's true that that the context in which the prohibition was formulated in the Gemara has to do with men who are in the midst of reciting Shema Yisrael, who who are in the midst of a Kedusha activity where they must focus their attention entirely upon the Kedusha, and therefore you might think that the prohibition of hearing women's singing voice pertains only to those uh, holy activities, but well, we saw the sources, according to which the mainstream view well just about, just about all the great posts can hold that the prohibition applies to men even outside of uh, holy activities, just in general, men are not allowed to hear the singing voice of women. we saw all those sources and, and last week we began to turn to some uh, uh, little little tiny uh, some tiny aspects, some little room for leniency, which might exist, in the words of some of the great poskim. And today we're going to broaden uh, broaden that, uh, that, that 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 little opening for leniency and see how wide open that uh, that that could be made. Last time we finished off by looking at the uh, at this lovely text from the Shocher Or HaRav the Shocher Or HaRav which we saw at the end of last week's class was written by the first of the Lubavitcher Rebbes and the, 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 this book is not only extraordinary well of course in Chabad circles of course in in, in Hasidic circles this is this is the, the halacha book but even outside of Hasidic circles this is a very important and uh, frequently quoted book the mission to Brura Quotes and relies upon this book virtually in every page of the Mission of Brewery. You'll find some, some reference, uh, some point in which he relies upon this book. It's very influential. And he said that if a man who is accustomed to hearing a certain woman's voice, uh, a, a sister, uh, an immediate relative, someone who's accustomed to hearing her specific voice, Well, no particular problem with that, even if she's married, and we're talking about a potentially adulterous relationship, if there'd be any hanky-panky between them, Um, and if he is able to totally ignore and blank out the singing voice and concentrate on uh, the prayers that he's saying, or Shema Yisrael that he's saying, if he's able to to ignore her singing voice altogether, he also said, there's room for leniency. Okay, th- that's what we saw at the end of last week's class. Now let's pick up with new stuff. The Ma'amar Mordechai. Uh, Ma'amar Mordechai was written by Rav Mordechai, and, and his last name, In the yeshiva world, they generally call him uh, Rav Mordechai Karmi. Uh, But his name was not really Karmi. Uh, Let's get his name spelled correctly on chat in Hebrew. His name was not really Karmi, even though that's the way it's usually pronounced in the yeshiva world. He was from France, uh, 18th century France, and uh, he was the Rav of the town of Cremieux let's get that spelled. there we go, Kremyeh was the town where he was the Rav, and he was called Mordechai Kremyeh, uh, but when you spell Kremyeh in, uh, in Hebrew letters, it comes out looking like Karmi, so in the yeshiva world, you have to call him Rav Mordechai Karmi, or more frequently, he's just called by the name of his uh, book, also also quoted by the Mishnah Brewer, well, perhaps not on every page, but more or less every page, very influential book. You call him the Marmar Mordechai, and everyone will know who you're talking about. You call him Rav Mordechai of, uh, of Kremir, and people will not know who you're talking about, unless they know he's from that town in southern France, which most people love At In any event, let's see what he has to say. Mira, it would seem... And no one told him that he had to publish this opinion just because he expresses himself in a modest way. It seems, in my humble opinion, that this is the, the position he's committed to. Baalma, in general, the singing voice of a woman is only prohibited if he is looking at her, not, not just looking there's there's looking and there's looking mr kale is not a glance he's not glancing at her he is staring at her he is gazing at her uh, he is ogling her if he is if he's staring at her and paying attention to her uh, to her song if he's focusing on her and her song miss kavin nosba, and he he's doing this because He has enjoyment, some erotic stimulation. He finds it enjoyable. Uh, That's prohibited. Well, Well, you see, he's just succeeded in narrowing the scope of the prohibition to situations in which, number one, she is physically present. And he is not only glancing at her, but staring at her, gazing at her. And uh, he's uh, experiencing some, uh, some Hana'a, some enjoyment here. Hidamashma Petur, and this is implied by the words of the tour and by the words of the Rambam. After all, they wrote, well, the Tur is just quoting the Rambam, it's the same words. Hamistakel, someone who gazes, not a passing glance, someone who gazes. Afilu beetzpetana shel isha, even in a woman's smallest finger, viniskavein lehenozba, and intends he that for that to be an erotic gaze. The most Mr. Kevimakamat Torah, it's as though he's looking at her nakedness. Afilu lishmoa call erba, even to hear her sing, only rotsa or to see her hair exposed. Uh, sir all this is prohibited. Well, well, you see the formulation of the Rambam, which is quoted then by the Tur, Shohanarach, uh, it doesn't say flat out, but clearly implies that the prohibition of the singing voice of the woman is in place if he is Mistakeel, if he is gazing on, upon her, and uh, uh, considers it to be a, 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 a an erotic experience. That's why that's why he's gazing, after all, uh, to just uh, gazing upon her small finger. Uh, if it's uh, uh, if, if it's uh, an erotic uh, gaze, that's prohibited. And then he concludes. These are still the words of the, of the Ma'amah Mordechai. Mashma This explicitly implies uh, those two words might not go together in general, but it's almost explicit here uh, that the rule of seeing a woman's exposed hair or looking at her finger, which is surely an exposed part of the body, or all, all these laws, all these prohibitions work together with a single standard Bakavana, just as one of them, namely looking at her little finger, which is in a normally exposed part of the body, is prohibited only if it's an erotic gaze the say similarly, similarly with her singing voice and her hair, if it's an erotic gaze upon the hair or an erotic listening to the song that's prohibited, but if it's harmless. If it's innocent, then it is harmless and innocent. Now, of course, this this puts the onus, this puts puts the burden upon the man to know himself. Uh, The man has to know. Uh, whether or not this is an incidental glance or whether this is an erotic stare. The man himself has to know whether it's a, an incidental listening or a, a, an erotic concentration on the singing voice of the woman. On the contrary. It's implied by the order of presentation in the Rambam, and the tour, the Tura is just quoting the Rambam, it's implied by the order of presentation that hearing the sing, singing voice is less strict than looking at the finger, than gazing upon the finger. Uh, therefore, kol shomea therefore anyone who hears the singing voice of the woman, the onus, he has no choice, you know he's walking down the street and he hears hears the singing voice of the woman coming out of the window. Well, whatever the situation is, he has no choice. He's sitting uh, in the um, uh, somewhere in there's background music being played. It doesn't matter what the situation is. He has no choice. It's just that the singing voice is being imposed upon him. A situation like that. Oh, Ara Sa'ara, or or if he sees. Her exposed hair. A passing glance, and he, he, he doesn't focus on her. He just happens to see uh, in a passing glance her exposed hair. Shalom, no, no, there's no, no, no erotic aspect to this at all. Shari, all is well, and there's no prohibition. Well, uh, the mama Mordechai has opened up the door to leniency, which we've seen previously, he's opened that door considerably wider. After all, according to this, the whole prohibition beginning to end has to do with whether or not there is an element of erotic stimulation. Uh, if it's uh, innocent, if the listening to the music, if listening to the singing voice of the woman is innocent, then it is innocent. Uh, a, a clear example of that would be his clear example of that would be that if he's just walking down the street and he has no choice about it, he hears uh, the singing voice of a woman who's singing in public or singing in her in her private residence, and, and the sound reaches him. Well, well, uh, he has no choice about it, and as long as he doesn't stop and focus his attention upon the singing all is well. This is his example of a case which is clearly okay. To what extent this can be uh, broadened to to millions of other ordinary cases of men hearing women sing depends upon whether or not there is or is not an, an element of concentration, focus, and, and and eroticism. Either there is or there isn't, and that varies depending upon the man, that varies depending upon the woman, that varies depending upon the situation, and this is something which the man is going to have to figure out whether or not he's gotten himself into a situation which is which is prohibited along these lines. That's the position of the Ma- Ma- Mordechai. Now, as we see uh, more uh, leniencies coming up down the, down the road, you'll realize... With this position which was formulated back in the 18th century uh, uh, is going to reverberate through the thinking of later Postkin, more contemporary, more recent Poskin, as we come to them more or less in chronological order. Uh, the, 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 the next of the great rabbis I wish to speak about is the Sridi Esh. Uh The the, the, the written by Rav Yechiel Michel Epstein, is uh, one of the important 20th century works of rabbinic scholarship. Uh, uh, Rav Epstein, and incidentally that name, is not well known in the yeshiva world. If you talk about the opinion of Rav Epstein, which we're about to learn, in the yeshiva world, not many people will realize who it is you're talking about. You have to call him by the name of his sefer. You call you you say this is the opinion of the Sridayesh. Oh, and everyone in the yeshiva world knows who you are talking about. The Sridayesh uh, He's known by the name of his safer. He, he he was uh, from Eastern Europe. He was from Lithuania, and uh, he got a job as uh, rosh yeshiva in Berlin. Um, this was in the in the beginning, in the first half of the 20th century, and uh, he indeed was the rosh yeshiva in Berlin when the Nazis uh, came to power and closed his yeshiva and uh, put him well he he was not put into a concentration camp. Uh, The the reason the Nazis did not put him into a concentration camp was because he had come from Lithuania and he held a Soviet passport. He was a Soviet citizen and uh, the, the Nazis uh, took all of the Jews who had Soviet passports and, and instead of putting them into, uh, into concentration camps, put them into jails. Not that the jails were much better than concentration camps, but they were a little bit better. They weren't quite as bad as concentration camps. The uh, the, the, the Soviet citizens were put into jails uh, by the Russians because it was put into jail by the Nazis. The Nazis intended after the war uh, to trade the uh, Soviet citizens with Russia to trade them for German prisoners of war that the that the Russians had uh, had uh, had captured well of course uh, that never happened and uh, after the war he was released from uh, from the jail his health in in the course of his of his imprisonment in that jail his health was irrevocably ruined he never he never really recovered his health after the shoah after the Holocaust, but he, he did live for a few years. He, he, he left Germany as quickly as possible after being released uh, from that Nazi jail. And uh, the last years of his life, he spent in Switzerland in the, in the town of Montreux, in uh, Montreux in, the, in, the, in Switzerland. In any event, the name of the Sefer, Sridayesh, Remnants of the Fire, uh, the Nazis had destroyed many of his writings. Uh, these are the writings which survived from the Holocaust, which the Nazis uh, uh, missed and did not did not destroy. So these are the shtreimel, the remnants, uh, the remnants of the fire from the Holocaust. In the last years of his life, when he was living in Switzerland, he was the last of the great rabbis left in Europe after the Holocaust. All the other great rabbis were either had either been murdered by the by the Nazis or ended up in places outside of Europe. But in Europe, he was the last of the great rabbis left, and therefore the recovering Jewish communities in uh, in Europe turned to him frequently for halakhic decisions on all kinds of issues that arose. In the, uh, in, the, in the Jewish communities which were trying to reconstruct themselves in Switzerland, in Holland, in all, all over. Michiel Michiel, 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 Michiel Weinberg. Michiel Yaakov Weinberg. No, no, you're right. Michiel Yaakov Weinberg. You're right. The, um, uh, uh, let's see what he had to say. The, the question which he's being asked, this is a tshuva, a response to a question, is as follows. After the after the Holocaust, the, uh, uh, there was a, a youth group, a Jewish youth group, in France called the Ezra. Uh, uh, the Ezra, youth group. Ezra, youth group, still exists today. There's even a, a branch of it in my neighborhood here in Ramot in Eretz in It still exists today. It, it was a, a youth uh, a youth movement, uh, uh, rather like Akiva. B'nai, B'nai Akiva and Ezra were a little bit competitors. The um, uh, uh, the Ezra movement had its origins before the Holocaust in Germany, and after the Holocaust in France the uh, the Ezra youth movement uh, gathered together uh, the, uh, the the Jewish youth who survived the Holocaust and uh, and tried to provide for them religious uh, religious services among among the things which the Ezra Youth Group did for the, for the survivors of the, of the Holocaust in France, was they organized Shabbatonim, where the, where the young people were gathered together and they had meals together on Shabbat with Divrei Torah and they had Shi'urim, the, the, the kind of activities that youth groups always did and continue to do to this very day. Now, the, uh, the following many problems arose. One of the problems which arose is the following. The, uh, the members of the youth group who were gathered together by the youth group leaders in France had originated from many different places. Uh, some of these young people were survivors from France. Some of them were survivors from Germany. Some from Poland. Some from Hungary. Some from Lithuania. You know, like they, they, they came from all over. These are the, 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 the these 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 are the young people who survived the concentration camps. Uh, some of them had survived in in hiding, but. Uh, 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 there was no common cultural origin to them, aside from the fact that they were all Jewish and wanted a, a, Torah observant, uh, uh, a Torah observant youth group. Well, in Germany, before the war, where this youth group had its origins before the Holocaust, whenever they had a Shabbaton, Whenever the young people would be gathered together for a a Shabbos together, they would have their meals together with Divrei Torah and Shi'urim. But among the activities, of course, they sang Zmirot Shabbat. They sang Shabbos songs around the Shabbos table. This is one of the things they did. And in Germany, before the Holocaust, the boys and the girls, we're talking about teenagers, the boys and the girls, sang together, and that was a standard practice around the Shabbos table in the Ezra youth movement in Germany before the Holocaust. Well, the the, the youth leaders continued the practices which they remembered from before the Holocaust, and here we have in France boys and girls singing uh, uh, Zmirot Shabbat, Shabbos songs together around the table. These are, these are teenagers, uh, and uh, the, the survivors of the Holocaust from places like Hungary and Poland were outraged, because in 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 Poland and in Hungary, Lithuania, places in Eastern Europe, uh, these young people remembered clearly that women. Girls and women did not participate in singing Shabbos songs because the the, the men present were not allowed to hear the singing voice of women. This this they knew definitively from, from the way life was before the Holocaust in Eastern Europe. And here the Torah observant, the nominally, supposedly Torah observant uh, youth group is having the boys and girls sing together Shabbos uh, miris in France after the war. The youth group leaders turned to the Sriniesh uh, uh, for advice. Should they uh, stop this, this uh, practice and not have the, the, the girls sing together with the boys? Or is it okay to continue? That's the question now let's see his answer. His answer is as follows Horeti, i instructed them my answer to their question is as follows this is what i told them to do this three dh wrote uh, 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 the uh yes uh, was the 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 um the organization which controlled, which was in charge of all the youth movements, I I told the administrators of the youth movements, they should continue their activities, including the singing of Shabbos songs, boys and girls together, teenagers. They should continue their practices exactly. As the rabbis in Germany had taught them before the Holocaust, the great rabbis of Germany told the youth leaders before the Holocaust: Boys and girls should sing Shabbos Mirus together around the table whenever you have a whenever you have a Shabbaton. those rabbis who instructed the youth groups before the Holocaust. Those rabbis were, were great rabbis. They were they were great Sadikim in Germany. The whole Kavanatam Hashem the only thing those rabbis cared about was what was best for the sake of heaven, and they understood clearly that for the sake of heaven what's important is for boys and girls to sing Zmirot Shabbat, Shabbat songs together around the table. Uh, this is one of the elements of saving the youth from assimilation. She hit Pashtaba Ashkenaz bimehem, assimilation which had be which had become quite common in Germany in those days. The rabbis, the great rabbis of Germany, the Tsadikin, who were fighting against assimilation in order to preserve Torah observance in the next generation, knew that one of the important things to do in order to maintain adherence to Torah observance in the next generation and prevent assimilation, one of the things to do is to have shabbatonim and boys and girls sing together. Now, um, this is a little bit strange, because after all, <coughs> all the sources, almost all the sources we saw, are, are strongly and definitively against this. Uh, why? Oh, why? How did the rabbis of Germany see room to be lenient in all of this? What was the basis of the thinking of those rabbis in in uh, in Germany? He says as follows: the Voile Berlin. When I first came to Berlin, right, he was from Eastern Europe, the Sridi he got his job as the Rosh Hashiva in in Berlin. When I arrived in Berlin to take over the position of Rosh Hashiva, and uh, uh, he was uh, invited uh, to different homes, different rabbis, different homes, Uh, families would invite him for Shabbos meals. When I arrived in Berlin, I saw the Batei Haredim in the houses in the homes of the, the strictest Jews, uh, the, the, the strictest Torah-observant Jews, the Haredim, I saw Yachad. I saw men and women singing Shabbos songs together, uh, not only teenagers, but the adults. Uh, here I was at the Shabbos table, and the adult women, the teenage women, the adult women, the children, are all singing Shabbos meiros around the table while I am there, and, and, and uh, uh, Shabbos meiros, uh, women singing with men uh, in Eastern Europe. There's no such thing. I was struck dumb. I, I, I was amazed. I, I was just struck dumb. I'd never, 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 never dreamt of such a thing. How can the Torah observant Jews permit this? In Germany, it seems to be a flagrant violation of the halacha in the Shulchan Aruch, which we saw last week. Shulchan Aruch says it's simply prohibited. After all, kol zemer isha. The uh, singing voice of the women, the Shas Kriyashma, while the men are reading Shema Yisrael, and we saw it extended even beyond that, simply usher, and simply usher, according to Shocher Why, oh why, were they doing that? Ishdamanti, I was struck dumb. So I asked, "What's going on here? What's going on here? What are you? What, 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 why are the women singing? marley I was told." Of Ezra Hildesheimer, Zao, Great Rabbi Hildesheimer, who was the Swedish's predecessor as Rosh Yeshiva in Berlin, the, Hildesheimer was the founder of the great Yeshiva in Berlin, the Vach Yeshiva, which produced the vast majority of of rabbis in Germany before the Holocaust. Rav Hildesheimer, Israel Hildesheimer was the founder of the yeshiva. After he passed away, uh, they called the to Sridi to take his place. Rav Hildesheimer himself Rav and also Rav Hirsch in Frankfurt, who is probably known as the greatest. Of the Orthodox rabbis of uh, Central and Western Europe, Hirsch, those two great rabbis, one in Berlin, the other in Frankfurt on the Main River. They told me that the leniency comes from those two great rabbis. Those two great rabbis are the ones who instructed. The Torah observant Jews of Germany that men and women should sing together. Atam. And the reason, Mishum de tre kale lo mishtae. The reason is because tre two voices singing simultaneously, lo mishtae, most people uh, cannot distinguish well between two voices singing simultaneously. As soon as you have more than one voice singing, most people cannot focus on a single voice. I'm not talking about you know professional professional musicians. Of course, the choir master uh, can can listen to the whole choir singing, and if there's uh, one voice that he's unhappy with, he knows exactly uh, whose voice it is. He's unhappy with, and he has to instruct that person to sing differently. That's a professional choir master. But most people. Hear multiple voices singing together and don't know exactly which is which, and therefore, as long as you have multiple voices singing together, you don't have focus, you don't have concentration, you don't have ice, isolated concentration on a single woman. Kevansha rim yachad, since they're all singing together, ein chash isur. There's no uh, uh, reason to be, uh, to be strict here. Uh, there's no uh, reason to be prohibitive. Well, you, you, you see clearly the idea of the Mordema, Mordechai, which we mentioned earlier today, reverberating in thinking of the great rabbis of Germany. The prohibition is if the man is focusing on that particular woman, And we're talking about a kind of erotic focusing Uh, with multiple women singing simultaneously or men and women singing simultaneously. As long as you have multiple voices singing together, then you no longer, for most people, uh, you don't have any more the option of focusing on a single voice uh, among among the chorus. And that's the reason the great rabbis of Germany were lenient. Let's go one step further. Based on this, therefore, these are still the words of the Sridhiyesh, therefore, I instructed the uh, administrators of this youth movement, the guys in charge of the youth movement, I instructed them to rely on the Ashkenaz. I instructed them to rely upon the opinions of these great German rabbis and be lenient. After all, it was the German rabbis who had expertise in chinuch, in education. The, the, the educational system set up by the great rabbis of Germany the school of Rabbi uh, Shemshin the, the educational institutions of Rabbi Ezra and the other great German rabbis were eminently successful, brilliantly successful, in training the next generation to grow up, to be Torah observant, and to maintain Jewish traditions. The German rabbis knew what was necessary in order to maintain Torah observance in the next generation. Yad The great German rabbis understood the young women in their society. The great German rabbis understood that the young women, girls and young women were being well educated in secular studies Unlike in Poland, unlike in Hungary, unlike in Lithuania, where there's no such thing as secular education for girls in Germany, the girls were getting a full-fledged, proper secular education. The girls studied foreign languages and foreign literature, science, chemistry, uh, you name it the girls were getting a full-fledged education, secular education, just like the boys. And therefore, the girls had a sense of self-respect, though different than the sense of self-respect that the boys had. They were educated in in exactly the same way. And indeed, in Rav Shem Shilafo Hirsh's school, In in Frankfurt, the boys and girls, in secular studies, learned exactly the same material. In in Kodesh, uh, uh, they were separated. The boys learned, back in those days, women wouldn't learn Gemara. Back in those days, the boys were given Gemara classes, and the girls were given more Chumash classes and things like that. For Jewish studies, they were separated. But for secular studies, uh, they had yeah, they were they were they were together absolutely identical. And the girls would uh, think of it as being denigrating. The girls would think of it as being insulting, and the girls would feel rejected from Jewish society. If you tell them we're young women. And you tell the mature women, the young women, the girls, if you would tell them that they're not allowed to participate in Shabbos mirrors, they would be insulted. They would feel rejected from Jewish culture. And that's not good. Lachain, therefore, And that's why the great rabbis of Germany permitted, and not only permitted, but encouraged, uh, Girls, girls, and young women, adult women, uh, to participate in Shabbos Mirus, they thought it's important. And why is it? We understand why it's important. It's important in order to maintain connection with Shabbos. In order to maintain connection with Torah observance, we understand why it's important. And why is it not prohibited? Because we're talking about multiple people sitting together, and there's no reason to think that the men uh, are going to be uh, 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 experiencing uh, erotic focus on, on one specific woman. Anu ro'im and we know perfectly well. The sridiash wrote, we see ourselves, and we know perfectly well. Kigedole Ashkenaz, kitzlichu b'chinuch v'nashim We know perfectly well, we see that it's the German method of educating the next generation, which was eminently successful in raising young girls uh, to be Torah observant and to be connected with Torah, to have spiritual lives, much more, the Gedole much more than other countries. The, the, the educational system instituted by the rabbis of Germany was far more successful in maintaining Torah observance in to the next generation than any other place, surely more than Poland, surely more than Lithuania, more than Hungary, more than every, all the other countries put together. It's the German rabbis who, who knew what had to be done, and part of the program was men and women so boys and girls singing together zmir Shabbat. the Ashkenaz in germany Ashkenaz means germany the Ashkenaz before the holocaust in Germany before the holocaust we we, we saw plenty of educated torah observant women. Uh, uh, we were higher education, university degrees, and they were they occupied the high positions in society. We saw plenty of Torah observant women occupying highly educated women occupying high positions in society in Germany before the Holocaust. They were very Torah observant, and they, they, they were fervent fulfillers of all the mitzvahs of the Torah. In, in Eastern Europe, there was no such thing as women uh, uh, attaining uh, high levels of scholarship. And therefore, having uh, having high positions in society while still being Torah observant, there was no such thing in Eastern Europe. But we saw that's what happened in Germany. Mishumkach, uh, therefore, ein anu marhiv. Therefore, we dare not prohibit. Ein anu, marhiv. I dare not prohibit. Laesor I dare not prohibit. What the great rabbis of Germany permitted, not only were they correct in being lenient, but they were necessarily correct. It's something which we need. All kinds of things might be per- permitted. It doesn't mean you should go out and do it. This is not only permitted, but this is something which you should do, because this is part of the program which succeeds in maintaining Torah observance. In something like this, in a situation like this, ne'amar, we say, Eit l'asot tarasecha. In a situation like this, we say, even if you come from a Jewish background in which you think this is prohibited, this is the time to reverse your position, this is the time to change horses. If, if you come from a Jewish culture in which you think this is prohibited, like many of the young people came, from Poland, Lithuania, Hungary, and so forth and so on, Romania. Uh, this uh, calls for a change of position in order to save the next generation for Torah observance. Well, well, the Swedish is quite is quite is quite emphatic about the matter. Not only is it permissible for boys and girls, men and women, to sing Zmirot uh, Shabbat together, but that's something which they should do because that that has proven itself as an important element of the program in maintaining commitment to Torah and mitzvahs. He adds one more sentence at the end of the Tshuva, Makom Makom, in any event, in any event, Ein lachuf al-hanashim, in any event, the women, the young women should not be compelled Young women should not be forced to sing Shabbos miras if they don't want to. Uh, A young woman, an adult woman, any woman who doesn't want to sing Zmirat Shabbat, is no reason why she she should be forced to do so. A specific woman who wishes to be strict and refrain from singing Zmirot Shabbat, Chalila, heaven forbid, heaven forbid that we should mock her, Hitler or to make fun of her. So uh, although he was instructing the leaders of the youth movement that it's good, proper, and to be encouraged. That men and women, girls and boys, uh, uh, young 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 people, uh, adults, uh, males and females, sing together. All all that's good. Although that is good and something to be encouraged, uh, uh, you, you you can't muck. You can't make fun uh, of a woman who wishes to be strict. After all, the strict position prohibiting the women from singing has great sources to it. And uh, therefore, therefore, we cannot object to a single person who wishes to be uh, uh, who wishes to be strict, or a group of people who wish to be strict. And this idea of yesh makom lachmir, let's get that spelled correctly on chat. Yesh makom lachmir is an idea which not only runs through the thinking of the as we see, it's also an idea which runs through the thinking of many other Poskin. Uh, for example, the Igrus Moshe from Moshe Feinstein, the, uh, the greatest of the rabbis of North America in the 20th century, uh, also lived in a place, New York, where there was a gathering of Jews from many different cultural spheres. Uh, Jews ended up in New York from everywhere, and of course they came to New York with varying practices. Uh, some communities were stricter on this and more lenient on that, and a divergence of practice on many, many things. And often, when the uh, uh, when the the, the the lenient Jews saw that their Torah observant neighbors were very strict on some point, the lenient ones would get nervous. And they'd ask Rav Moshe Feinstein, is, is it, are, are we just making a mistake? Are we, are we just wrong uh, to be lenient on this point, or, or, or is our leniency justified? That was a very common, that was a very common form of question that Rav Moshe Feinstein was asked. Um, well, uh, 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 the typical form of his, the structure of his responses usually followed exactly the same kind of lines as the 3 uh, uh, well, uh, Al-P-Din, uh, according to Halakha, uh, according to the principal sources of Halakha, the lenient side is fully justified. But remember, the strict side also has sources to rely upon, and therefore, although it is correct to be lenient, you cannot mock and you cannot make fun of the people who are stricter, that too is a valid approach. Yesh makom lachmir, there is valid room to be strict on many many issues, on many matters, and people who choose to do so, uh, we surely uh, we surely have to uh, we surely have to be at peace with them. That's a very common approach, not only the Sridiish, but also Rav Moshe Feinstein and many others. At this point. We're going to turn to the next big issue, not only Zmirot Shabbat, but all kinds of songs, whether it's Zmirot Shabbat or not. And and, and now, now we're going to turn to the question of the disembodied voice of the woman, as we have only the voice, but not the physical presence of the woman. That's a complicated way of saying we was speaking about, uh, you know, radio transmissions and recordings. We we're, we're, we're on, on the recording or the radio transmission, all you, all you have is the voice, but not the physical presence of the woman. But let's see what the, what the Great Post can have to say about that. First, we're going to uh, see the uh, strict opinion. Strict opinion is, that, uh, is represented by the Chalkas Yaakov. Chalkas uh, Yakov was Rav Yaakov Breish, Rav Yaakov Breish, uh, originally from uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, after the uh, Hungarian Revolution, he, uh, he was among the many Jews who escaped from uh, communist uh, Hungary during the uh, during the Hungarian Uprising, and uh, he ended up in uh, in Zurich, in Switzerland. Uh, this is what he had to say about. Recordings and uh, radio transmissions of the singing voice of women. A voice without the physical presence of the woman. Here's what he says. <laughs> I know of absolutely no basis for leniency. The Ko Isha, regarding the prohibition of the singing voice of a woman, just because. It's a radio transmission. That doesn't make it any less erotic. That doesn't make it. That's no reason for leniency. There, Even though it says in the Gemara, let's take a look at the words of the Gemara for a moment, and then we'll understand how the Chalkes Yaakov relates to the Gemara, how he understands the Gemara. The Gemara says, Rava says in the Gemara, uh, 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 Gemire, he says. Gemire is a technical term in the Gemara, which means we have a tradition that teaches us. Gemire, we have a tradition which teaches us, Rava said, that the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, It's a polite way of saying erotic, eroticism. Uh, Sholet dominates a person as a person is subject to erotic stimulation. Bamesha einavraot, only with what he sees with his own eyes. Erotic stimulation enters through the eyes. That's a tradition we have. We've learned by tradition, Rava says, that uh, Uh, That uh, 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 things which are prohibited by halacha because of eroticism has to do with the vision of the eyes well uh, this passage in the Gemara, zeh, these words in the Gemara these words in the Gemara have only to do with ongoing erotic thoughts after the song is finished, after uh, she is no longer present, when you are alone. What Rava meant is that if you actually see the woman and experience erotic stimulation, then that will influence your thoughts, that will stay in your mind, and the erotic influence will remain in your mind even later when you are in private. Oh, wow. But... <coughs> is shomea et Funana. but if you hear her singing voice and you find that attractive, if you are attracted by her singing voice, that is the prohibition the javi erva uh, uh, there are two different things going on here, according to the focuskas Yakov visual exposure. To eroticism is not only prohibited now but continues to have impact on your thoughts later on and the erotic thoughts will continue. Passing exposure to only the voice but no vision, that can be erotic while you are hearing the voice which is prohibited but uh, what Ravah meant in the Gemara is it's not going to have any ongoing impact on you. Ki <coughs> arev. After all, mm-hmm. what the Gemara says about kol isha, and we saw all these sources two weeks ago, <coughs> where the, pro- <coughs> the whole prohibition is learned from the verse in the Torah, which calls the, the kol, the kol. The singing voice of the woman areve pleasant after the 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 the, um, the singing voice can be erotically attractive even if you have no idea who it is who is singing, and therefore the fact that she is not physically present is irrelevant uh she could be behind a curtain she could be in the house somewhere. Uh, it's the voice alone which is prohibited, and therefore there is no room to be lenient regarding uh, uh, recordings or, uh, or radio transmissions. bashishit asur. After all, exposure to erotic stimulation is prohibited, even in a mirror you don't actually see the woman in the mirror. All you see is a reflection. Doesn't matter. A reflection in a mirror can be erotically stimulating. You don't need the physical presence of the woman in order to have a prohibition. Shama ever here After all, in a mirror, you see, you see what you see. Asur. Even if she's not physically present, still seeing a seeing woman in the mirror can be exposure to something which is erotically attractive. Bishmia, as far as listening is concerned, not a mirror, but the concept is very similar. Bishmia, as far as listening is concerned, hearing is what's prohibited. And, and, and hearing a radio transmission is in concept analogous to seeing something prohibited in a mirror, not physically present, but you see it in the mirror, not physically present, but you hear it coming from the radio or the recording. Uh, and this is true whether she is present or not. You don't need her physical presence in order to have a prohibition of eroticism. Uh, the Afgam even if he cannot see her, since the prohibition is hearing the singing voice. Well, whether he can see her, see her or not, is irrelevant. Uh, whether she's physically present or not is irrelevant, and therefore, the the singing voice of women is uh, equally prohibited in person, and in recordings or radio transmissions, disembodied voice is equally prohibited with uh, uh, hearing the song in the presence of the woman. That's the strict position which is uh, formulated by the Chalkes Yaakov and uh, many rabbis today continue to, uh, uh, to embrace this strict approach. Now let's look at the lenient. Position regarding recordings and so forth and so on, recordings and radio transmissions. The the the, the lenient position is that of the tzitziliezer, Rav Eliezer Yehuda Waldenberg. Uh, he was uh, he was born in Damascus, but uh, he spent all his life really here in Jerusalem. He was for many 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 years the head of the Bet uh, Din the, uh, the leading rabbinic court of the chief rabbinate here in Israel. Uh, and uh, he's the author of this uh, series, of volumes, series of volumes of the Chuvot the I just forget the, the, the last volume was 21, uh, uh, a total of 21 volumes, and we're quoting now from the fifth volume. Let's see what he has to say about recordings and uh, and radio transmissions or any situation where the woman is not physically present with the man hashaloknega uh, if he's not in her presence a kol it's only her voice which he hears balafanov only her voice comes before him and not her physical presence if it's only the voice azay mutar then it is permissible. Because if she's not physically present, there's no way that he can look at her. If she's if he's not physically present, then it's simply impossible for him to gaze upon her. There can be no erotic gazing if she's not there. Uh, so if it's only the voice, only the singing voice permitted. Now we have to understand the reasoning behind this. Let's see how he explains it. Odzot, further. Kisha Kol hu Alyadeya Radio. If the voice is coming through a radio transmission, there's an additional reason to be lenient. Not only because she's not physically present, but here's a whole new reason to be lenient with radio transmissions. would It would be permissive. Mipne because call ishamamish. Turn on the radio. You listen. You turn on the radio and you listen. You are not hearing the voice of a woman. You are hearing vibrations created by the loudspeaker in the radio. That's not a woman, that's a mechanical device which is vibrating and imitating the sound of a woman. There's no woman here, it's just a good imitation. Depending upon the quality of your of your audio equipment, the imitation of a woman's voice will be better or worse, but, but it, it's never the voice of a woman, it's always just the vibrations, in the air, created by the loudspeaker or the or the earphones, but it's not the sound coming from the vocal cords of a woman. There is no woman. There is no woman's voice here. All it is is mechanical vibrations of a of a of a of a, of a loudspeaker or earphones, and that's not erotically attractive. Ella, ovrim kechetef. The original voice of the woman, which went into the microphone in the studio. That original voice undergoes all kinds of electronic changes until it finally comes out of the loudspeaker. And that's like a like an echo. It's it's not the original voice anymore. It's no better than an echo. Uh, uh, it's not the voice of a woman. It's an echo. That's all it is. The local for Gadola Tolidano, Rav Rav Tolidano from Morocco, who is strict on this issue, is incorrect. Rav Toledano incorrectly thinks that somehow the voice of the speaker on the radio, or the voice of the singer on the radio, somehow that voice travels through the wires and comes out the other end. That's not what happens. That's simply not correct. Uh, It's not like Uh, it's not like a long garden hose where where, where you speak or sing into one end of the garden hose and at the other end it's it's that voice coming out. that's not the way radios work, it's a a whole new creation the voice you hear, the sound you hear is a whole new creation, not a woman's voice at all, just a machine vibrating well, we're beginning to see why the Tzitzel-Yezer is lenient about the disembodied voice of the woman. We're going to pause at this time, and in um, Yetzirah, next time we will complete this topic. Until then, I wish you a good week, and eventually a Shabbat Shalom, and look forward to seeing you all again next week. Till then, Shalom, Shalom. Thank you.